And this is the reading for every year on the first Sunday of Lent. This year we hear this story from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days and at the end of it he was very famished. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And the devil said to Jesus, To you I will give their glory and all their authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to whomever I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve God alone. And then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, God will command God's angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus for a more opportune moment. Judy and Doug Petrie gave me this. Doesn't it look like Dudley? This is just an example of the multiple kindnesses this uh, congregation have uh, given to Kathy and me after Dudley died a couple of weeks ago. Rachel Riggs gave us an oak tree. We've got scores of cards. Look, Kathy and I knew, know that we're crazy dog people and that it was just insane to pour so much time and attention into this crazy beast. But what gratifies her and me is that he meant a lot to this whole church. And I'll never be able to thank you for all of your kindnesses to us in so many ways. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the Democrats don't want Chris Wallace to moderate a presidential debate because he is one of those devils from the Fox network. I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought he did a pretty good job the last time. And in any case, it's probably not a good idea because it's taking a page from President Trump's playbook, Hamstring the Press. But whatever happens with all of that, it's true that before you claim high office and all of its authority, you often have to defend your sacred principles before a hostile moderator, even Jesus. Luke tells us that before Jesus inaugurates his public ministry, not long after his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him out into the barren wilderness to debate with the devil for 40 days. The devil takes three shots at derailing Jesus from his sacred purpose. First, the devil advises Jesus to turn a stone into a loaf of bread and thereby use divine power for small selfish purposes. And then the devil, Jesus, the devil leads Jesus up to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of this world, Rome, Athens, Alexandria, Byzantium, and tells him that they can all be his if he will only sell his soul to the devil. It is the original Faustian bargain. This must be where Marlowe and Goethe got their ideas, ideas for Dr. Faustus, right? 
And then finally the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and tempts him to throw himself off to show the admiring public an awesome display of angelic power. Three times Jesus deftly eludes the devil's grasp like Cam Newton. In a word, Jesus says three times three ways. In a word, Jesus says, Worship God and worship God alone. A friend of mine puts it so tersely, he said, Jesus chooses God. That's all there is to this simple little story. Now you may have noticed that the devil quotes scripture. Psalm 91, which Alyssa just sang. The devil not only quotes scripture, he plays baseball. He knows that it's three strikes and you're out. So he leaves Jesus, slinks away for a more opportune time, as Luke puts it. So how do we shake the dust off this ancient story, hoary with superstition and an almost obsolete vocabulary? The Greek word for devil is diabolos, the diabolical one. We don't believe in the literal existence of demons and devils anymore, do we? Maybe not, but does it sometimes seem as if you momentarily submit yourself to an invisible force that subverts your principles and purpose? Have you ever lost your temple, temper and unleashed a rude insult against your spouse or your teenager? And then did you have to say later, I am so sorry, that isn't who I am. That's not me. Maybe you were right. Maybe it wasn't you. As soon as you say, that's not who I am, you are dabbling in the ancient vocabulary of principalities and powers. Somewhere in the Sunday school classroom in America, in today's America, the teachers somehow lost control of the situation. It went from serene to traumatic in about 60 seconds. It sounded like two street gangs were clashing in there. And when the ushers went down to investigate, a lone child emerged from the classroom and she explained, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. Doesn't it seem sometimes as if all the kingdoms of the world belong to the devil? When it elected Adolf Hitler chancellor in 1933, Germany lost its collective mind, or to be more precise, sold its soul to the devil. In today's world, North Korea, Venezuela, nothing explains such comprehensive brutality. It's terrestrially inexplicable. Anyone see the game last night? Michigan State 75, Michigan 63. Iggy Brasdakis, Michigan's Lithuanian-Canadian freshman, Michigan State completely dominated Michigan last night, and Iggy fouled out, but he was the team's leading scorer with 20 points, and I love the tattoo on his left arm. Iggy lives his whole life right-handed. He's completely right-handed. He even dribbles the basketball right-handed, but he shoots with his left hand, and on his left arm there is a tattoo of a serpent. It's the snake from the Garden of Eden to remind him of the dangers of temptation. So Iggy Bradzakis doesn't think this vocabulary is obsolete. He lives it. 
And so I hope you'll find a way to make this evocative but ancient story God's word for you today. And all through this Lenten sermon series called A Wideness in God's Mercy, we're going to challenge you to reclaim the church's almost lost vocabulary, this spacious, three-dimensional, technicolor vocabulary of temptation and sin and salvation and repentance and atonement. I don't want to make you feel bad. FOMO is a terrible thing, but you should have been here on Ash Wednesday, Wednesday night. Katie preached the finest sermon on repentance that I've ever heard. She reclaimed this kind of archaic word for our own lives today. Sometimes I wonder if Christendom has sold its spacious proprietary vocabulary too cheaply and were diminished as a result. David Reed was the brilliant Scottish-American preacher at the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City from 1956 to 1989, and he points out that these days you never hear a sermon title with the word sin in it. It's not as if the word is unpopular. You see it everywhere, most particularly on the marquees of our more squalid establishments in the city. Dr. Reed says it looks as though a word the churches are avoiding because it sounds negative and disapproving has been picked up by the pornographers because it is sexy and exciting. And among all the scandals that are afflicting our contemporary world in business and government, the military, religion, Theranos, Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort, the Vatican, you never hear anyone say, I was wrong, I sinned, I will repent, I will try to atone. You might hear about understandable lapses in judgment, or you might hear, it is possible that with the limited information available to me at the time, I made unadvisable decisions. But you never hear words like temptation and sin and repent. That vocabulary is as fashionable as disco or the church lady. Neil Planiga was once president of Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids. He says, we ought to pay evildoers, including ourselves, the intolerable compliment of taking them seriously as moral agents. Yes? After all, what could be more arrogant than treating other persons as if they were normal, no more responsible for their actions than a tiny child? What could be more offensive than regarding others not as players but merely as spectators in human affairs? I love the way he talks about it. We must pay ourselves the intolerable compliment of treating each other seriously as responsible moral agents. We are not victims here. We are the owners and creators of our fate for good and for ill. So I don't know in what wilderness you confront your hostile moderator called Diabolos. Maybe it's that conference in Vegas where you're tempted by the greed of the gambling tables or the licentiousness of the floor shows. Or maybe it's just sitting at your own desk when you're working on a price quote for a customer and you're tempted to put a little profit cushion in there, a fraudulent one, for yourself. Maybe it's a college campus. A college campus can be a wilderness. It's lonely out there. You're all on your own. There are no rules, not anymore. It's the wild, wild west. 
Have you ever walked from the undergraduate library or the law school to the football stadium on a football Saturday in Ann Arbor? Everybody is playing beer pong and the women have forgotten to wear clothes. <laughs> now, it's a lot different from, it, from what it was when Kathy and I were there in 1981 and I know I sound like your grandfather, but it's true. Garrison Keeler once got a letter from a friend of his, a friend is named Jim. Jim was celebrating his 40th birthday. Jim teaches classics at a small college in a tiny town. And right around his 40th birthday, the dean of the college came to the classics department and told the professors that the classical languages were dead. Jim says that is something we already knew. But what the dean meant is that enrollment in the classics had diminished to almost nothing. Even the Latin students, the department's cash cropped, had dropped by half. And so the dean was going to have to let most of them go. Now what do you do in a tiny college town when you have a PhD in Greek? There's nothing to do but teach at the college, and it's a long way down to pumping gas at Sonny's Amico. But then the dean offered Jim a position in the admissions department. Twice the work for one quarter less pay, but Jim jumped at the chance. His only colleague in the admissions department was a young woman, bright, lovely, and lonely. Jim says, I advised her to make friends. She made friends with me. She told me I was witty and stylish and handsome. To my family, I was just daddy the old drudge. Earn the money and bring it home and then bring home some more. But to her, I was valuable just for being myself. There was an admissions conference in Chicago and Jim's new friend offers to drive them there in her car. And so on the day before the conference, there stands Jim in the front yard of his house waiting for his new friend to pick him up. And while he's waiting, he's thinking, a long time ago, I left my parents for my wife because she appreciated me, and they didn't. Now, 20 years later, I'm thinking about leaving for a woman who appreciates me more. And Jim says, then I looked up the street of this small town, which is health to my flesh and blood, where people go to church and vote in elections and buy what the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts sell them and root for the home team and take care of the library and tend the parks. And I thought about how much we really depend on each other. And I saw that though my sins could be secret, they in reality would not be secret at all, just about as secret as an earthquake. All these houses and all these families, my infidelity will somehow shake them and pollute the drinking water. When we scream in senseless anger, a little eight-year-old girl we don't know spills gravy on a white tablecloth. And if I go to Chicago with this woman who is not my wife, somehow the school patrol will forget to guard the intersection and someone's child will be injured. A sixth grade teacher will say, what the hell, and leave South America out of the geography lesson. The minister will say, what the hell, 
and decide not to give that sermon about feeding the poor. The guy at the grocery store will say, to hell with the health department. This sausage was good yesterday, it's just as good today. And I decide that we all depend on each other more than we will ever know. And then Jim closes his letter. He says, say hello to everyone back in town for me. I haven't been there for 20 years, but they are still very much in my heart. Tell them I'm okay. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.